0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Tulsa World Opinion Video Podcast. I'm Jenny Graham, the Editorial's Editor.
1: I'm Bobby Sett, Editorial Writer and Columnist.
0: And it's been a weird week, and it started last week. The weeks just sort of blend in, but what sort of started last week and kind of bled over, which has led into our theme, which we didn't mean it to be a theme for this weekend, is mental health. Mm-hmm. And the Tulsa County District Attorney, Steve Coonsweiler, was stabbed multiple mm. times by his daughter on September 27th, I believe. And the next day, he came out and gave a press conference, and I watched it, and it was really powerful. And so this weekend, for our editorial, We are running a transcript of that, or at least the heart of it, because he spent at least three minutes of that time thanking very specific people, which I think anyone that faces a really difficult time like that, you want to call out all those who who Mm -hmm. came to you. But when I was watching it, the things that kind of stuck out to me, and it was to the board as well, was it's brave to speak about something like that. I mean, you know, this is clearly a family struggle and he spoke very strongly about seeing how the state has eroded our mental health system mm-hmm. and when you think about it if the district a prominent district attorney in the state cannot access and get the right kind of mental health services for his daughter then how does that bode for everybody else and he one of the things he said a couple of times was that when he started as a prosecutor 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago at this point, the mental health services were better than they are now. That, that what what struck you when you were reading his statement or listening to that statement?
1: I could definitely tell you could feel a palpable um, bit of righteous anger in this thing, keyed on exactly what you're talking about that when he started this thing, I mean, it's not like everyone was thinking, oh yeah, we've got Cadillac Mental Health Services in Oklahoma back in the 90s. But the fact that we've uh, gone downhill from there, that the the legislature could have uh, by now over many, many sessions done something to improve this and just hasn't. Um, And then for him, it all came home to roost in his own household. And what he's telling you is, you know, we got a one of them check engine lights come on a few years back when the state labor commissioner was killed by his son, and the words he used, crickets. That's pretty damning.
0: Yeah, I, I remember when that happened, and everybody in the legislature was shocked, horrified. We're going to do something, and he's right. Nothing, nothing is done. There was a lot of talk about supporting mental health. But when it gets down to it, there hasn't been a lot of action on it. No. And, and uh, you know, so we're running that and and, and in writing and in, in reading that and, and writing out the transcript, it inspired me to think of, well, what could they do? Because it just seems so big. But there are some things that I point out in a column this weekend that it could do right now. And one of the things we've spoken about quite mm-hmm. often is the legislature's absolute refusal to follow the law that the voters passed six years ago in, say, questions 780 and 781 that changed some of the classifications of drug offenses uh, to misdemeanors. Mm -hmm. The whole idea was to reduce the prison population for nonviolent offenders, but then take that savings since we're not sending people to prison and then put it to the county governments and let them distribute it to the mental health programs that it needs in the communities. The idea was the needs are gonna vary from county to county. So some far-flung county might have problems with isolated elderly people who are suffering from depression, or maybe they've got a bad meth problem going on. Whereas mm-hmm. in Tulsa County, we're seeing a homeless population explode. We're seeing juvenile mental health, suicide rates skyrocket. So. The idea is the local communities is no best, but they've spent nothing. The legislature has expended no money to satisfy that part of the law. And it's really frustrating that it's yeah, been what,
1: they, what, six they, years. what do they owe now, like $50 million? Well,
0: I looked it up a year ago. It was almost exactly a year ago. I wrote a story where they were owed, the county governments were owed $50 million a year ago. So we're just, I mean, at yeah. some point they're going to have to pay up. And we've got three million billion billion in savings accounts.
1: Exactly. The money's there. We just need to do it.
0: Yeah. And so that's, that's starters there. But then you kind of go down the list of things, but there's still a stigma. And that's a part of it too, is I think the more people speak about the frustrations they have in accessing therapy, accessing... Because right now, if you're not in crisis... It's hard to get therapy. It's hard to get just like regular services. So that's where we are. So the in there is parity and workforce and all these other things. But to me, right now the legislature could pass, could satisfy 781, put that money to the counties, and then let's work on and stigma. And I don't want some like, you know, ad campaign. I mean, I'm just looking for actual conversations to where we talk about, yes, you know, my Mother suffered from depression, or my great grand, you know, my grandfather, whatever. I mean, we need to kind of be more open about it. Maybe that'll break it down. I don't know.
1: Something we definitely need to get more uh, mental health professionals in the state, you know, and not just in the urban areas, but in the rural areas too. We just don't have it right now, and I'm not sure what's going to take to get that going uh, comprehensively. What's going to get them want to work here? but we need to make that happen, obviously.
0: I'm sure there are things like Medicaid rates staying up, but there's also, um, we have to bring in private care because private insurance leads this so much. I mean, you have the state programs, but the private insurers are are a big part of this too. So, but those two kind of things sort of boiled up this past week. And, um, you know, I, I think the district attorney was brave and I appreciate his candor. And and I, I hope that him doing that kind of helps others. And the other big tragedy from last week was a shooting at McLean. It was in the parking lot of the McLean football game. I want to be very clear about that. And you wrote about it this weekend eloquently. Mm-hmm. I would suggest everyone read it because the reactions have been all over the place. Yeah. Disappointing, maybe expected. So, um, but you made a good point in there. I mean, talk a little bit about your column this week.
1: Well, a couple of things that stuck out to me about this is I can understand why some parents might be, in, in light of the news of this kind of st- thing, might be a little reticent to to go to the games and stuff like that. I get it. You know, it's... Gun violence is not a small deal. Nobody wants to have their kid get hurt or something like that. But one of the points I wanted to make, and I really want people to think about, is who are the victims here? And one of the things that I remember learning, you know, back in the back in the nineties, um, through an experience that was happening at the Oklahoma City paper, the Oklahoman, after the bombing, was that you cannot treat victims as a statistic or just some sort of a, a name to be attached to a crime. You've got to understand who these people are. So I'm kinda, I kind of did a real narrow look at that and then a broader look at that. So, you know, let's talk about the person who died in that thing. His name was Teron Yarbrough, 17-year-old McLean High School student. Every indication that what we heard is that he's a good kid. Um, this would be the kind of son you would want to have. He was in AP chemistry. He was a good student. He was a hard worker. He was in the botec program or career tech, uh, and he worked outside of school. You know, he was in a construction job, so he was making money and he's playing sports. I mean, talk about a go-getter. That's who. That's who died in the parking lot just outside the stadium on September 30th. I guess that was last Friday. So we need we need to remember that kind of thing. You know, these these aren't just faceless whatever, you know, these are people. And make broader. You know. Yeah, and you go to a broader look at this thing. Um, the school, the community that's in that that part of the city around McLean. They're victims of this too. You know, they just lost uh, a neighbor, a friend, you know, somebody that they knew saw in the hallways of school, maybe a church or something like that at the workplace, uh, at practice. He's not there anymore. You know, and there's three other people who were injured in that shooting. They're going to have to deal with the trauma of being at the wrong place at the wrong time when somebody thought, you know, the only way to resolve their dispute was with a gun. And, you know, one of four fatal shootings that day, Uh, one of two in which uh, deceased were teenagers. And I think the response to this is, yes, I get the shock value. I get the fear of the violence and stuff like that. But, you know, the folks in that community are us. We're all Tulsans. We're all part of this larger community, and there's a piece of us that's hurting right now. And what I hope that does not happen, and what kind of already has started to happen, is that that community is being ostracized. And I want to be careful when I'm saying that, saying that people are just like intentionally saying, Everyone here, we cannot associate with you. That's not what people are saying, but that is in effect what's happening. Because you had one superintendent saying, as long as I hold this office, we're never going to go back there and play a game or do anything ever again. And then another superintendent saying, yeah, even if we're at a neutral site, we're not going to play the football game on Friday with these guys. That is, I've, on one side, you can see that as a, as a public safety concern from parents and students, but it is isolating a community that is already hurting and that's kind of a double tragedy, I think. And this is a time where I think, um, you know, we've got to find some way to rally around McLean.
0: Yeah, they, I saw, I saw what this. that
1: looks Christmas. like, but we need to do yeah, it. They,
0: I did see this morning they came back to school and there were a lot of people in the community. Um, there was even one of the, uh, Dr. Chris McNeil, who's a school board member at Union, was out mm-hmm. holding signs, cheering them on. That's great. I, I loved that. Because these kid, can you imagine? I mean, this kid was in AP chemistry. You're going back to school and you're in AP chemistry with him and he's not there. And yep. you've got two superintendents in the state that are, you know, saying they don't want anything to do with your school. Even though we don't know much about the crime. The, the, the police are, you know, not released a lot of information. We don't know. No one's been arrested at this point. But that wasn't on the field. You know, those kids on the field played hard. You had the band, the palm. I mean, I'm thinking I go to a high school football game almost every Friday. Mm-hmm. And it could have happened there. I mean, we're a nation of guns, we're a state of guns at this point, and that's part of this reality. And we've been writing for months now about the youth gun violence. And it's it's not relegated to one part of town. It really wow. it's been in South Tulsa, it's been in BA. I mean, it's um you know, the rural areas might think that they're protected, but I, you know, I would I would caution against that. I mean, they yeah. there are, you know, suicides that happen and there's always that possibility, what if? I mean, I, Chief Franklin had said that people should go to a football game and not worry about this. And I agree, but we should also be able to go to a movie, to an outdoor concert, dancing school, to a doctor's appointment, and we're going to have to face the reality that, you no know, gun, we are not being safe with our weapons. No. And and I don't know what's going to give, but I I don't want to see McLean treated any differently than anyone else in mourning. So I remember we all came together after St. Francis. I think we can come together in this tragedy too. So I thought it was a really good piece this weekend, and I'm glad you wrote it. But I um, you know. Turning to the other things going on this week, the uh, the legislature is still in session. they've been in session since February. Mm-hmm. And I guess when you're a lawmaker you just never get a day off. but no. they they have they've done a lot of good. I mean you know a billion dollars over a little bill, over a billion dollars has been expended in federal funds. It's not state money, you know they the legislature, they the lawmakers, sort of took this away from Governor Stitt because they didn't feel like the governor was working fast enough to get this money out. So they took it away from them and they started, you know, dispersing this money. Maybe there was a hiccup, kind of an embarrassing one where they're picking on trans children mm-hmm. again. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure how that works when they were up for group of people upset that OU Children's was giving some treatments to transgender children. Mm-hmm. Lots of misinformation about what that is. It's not surgery. It's not irreversible, but regardless, transgender children seems to be a trigger. And so they banned it. They made uh, OU stop doing that in order to receive ARPA money, which I'm not sure how a state policy, regardless of state policy, can be attached to federal money. I'm not sure, I'm not an attorney, but that seems a little illogical to me. But outside that, you know, a lot of things were, I mean, new medical facilities, healthcare, broadband, a lot of things are gonna change. And then right at the end, At the end, stalemate, not the last, there's $95 million being held up in good projects, Mm -hmm. projects like the Oasis uh, food desert, food, food market expanding into other food deserts, Uh, you know, another uh, food on the move gets a new facility, all these good things, but it's being held up because somewhere someone's fighting over $2.8 million of that for the YWCA in Oklahoma City to expand its housing program for foster youth aging out of the system. Mm. No one knows why. Um, I mean, the only connection is that uh, the, the Senate President Pro Tem, Greg Treat's wife is on the YWCA board there, but he said in a press conference that he didn't think that was it. So I'm gonna assume it's something petty, because, still dominated by men, sorry, but, you know, I don't know. It just seems like there's no reason not. So the House and the Senate are in the stalemate. They won't pass it. So $95 million in projects are in limbo right now until they can figure it out. And so we wrote an editorial saying, work it out. This is your job.
1: Yeah.
0: Almost part Oklahoma it's legislature. Not
1: like, it's not like we're talking about things that are like,
0: Oh my gosh!
1: This is going to end up in Senator Langford's pig book. These are things that are very
0: yeah.
1: They're very related to what ARPA was for recovery from the pandemic, recovery from the economic downturn of the pandemic. That's what it was. That's what these projects directly address in their own ways. And we're just sitting there on these things, and that's... when you say that you're taking control of these things because you didn't like how slowly it was being rolled out by the governor's office and then you do this you're yeah, doing it's, not a, it's not a good look it's not a good look
0: yeah. no no and i was like you were almost there legislature you almost got it and then you live up to a uh, live up to your reputation, I guess. So hopefully they will get this worked out and all of these good programs can be funded because one of the things that was uncovered, and I did, I read, I think it was uh, Senator Chuck Hall from my hometown of Perry, uh, but he had said that he goes, you know, one of the things that this uncovered was just how much need is in Oklahoma. You know, the pandemic showed how many people were scraping by and they fell off the cliff. And so this really uncovered the, the true needs. And so moving forward, this is great federal money coming in, it ends. So we're gonna have to figure out as a state how we're gonna keep some of it going if we wanna keep some of these going. So, um, you know, that was that was something that I hope lawmakers really internalized. It's just what, what our fellow Oklahomans are needing. But another good thing that we wrote about uh, this week was Greenwood's on the National Register of Historic Places. It's taken like 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And you know the weird thing about that whole journey, (laughs) watching this, them, you know, them, meaning the leaders in in Greenwood, one of the reasons they had a hard time getting on there was because there weren't enough historic places. Because it had either been burned in the 1921 race massacre, or it had been torn down by urban renewal in the 60s. So the things that devastated the area were the reasons it was being kept off. And I just thought this whole time, like how, how can they justify that? But, you know, and to Senator Langford's credit, he, he did work on the federal end to push that on behalf of all the local leaders who, there, there were several of them. So that was cool. And I hope that that brings us some national attention and, and people down to the Greenwood area.
1: I'm glad that we did not further the process of erasure by putting that off because that's what that, that's what you're looking at there is like, eh, hey, you don't have enough buildings. But, you know, the reason why you didn't have enough buildings is because 100 years ago, a bunch of them burned down. And then, you know, 40 years after that or whatever, they tore a bunch down more to build a highway and all that. That's erasure. Yeah. And, you know, hey. Well, we don't,
0: and I'm still hoping we can move that highway. I've never—I mean, it's weird how we build our cities with a, a circle around downtown, don't we? Want to like it? Doesn't even make sense architecturally anymore to me. So I'm hoping my my hope one day is I'll be alive to see that moved or somehow redesigned to where it's not kicking up gravel into the A.M.E. church. You know, yeah, that'd that'd be, would nice. be nice. Well, speaking of erasure, we got House Bill 1775. Since we like erasing yeah. history in this state. <laughs> people say it's not happening, it's happening And that is an argument. People say, well we should you know we you, you've been in meetings and, and talked to people with me, lawmakers and other policymakers that defend it say, well, mm. we shouldn't teach one race or gender is better than the other. Yeah. true. Yeah. but there's a whole other part of that law that's subjective and has that chilling effect, which is you're not going to teach anything that makes someone feel uncomfortable. Hmm. So our board, seeing how this whole thing has played out, seeing how it's really just a weapon for a very political uh, State Board of Education, wants to, we're advocating to repeal it. But I don't know really how realistic that is. I mean, I would love to say yes, we can all agree that this has been not the law we want. Yeah. So I'm being doubting thomas here that it'll actually get repealed do you want to with me on that
1: my thinking behind this is is anytime you pass a law and then you start looking at what you intended to do and then what it actually did the results are what matter okay so do we have a rash of things happening in the state of oklahoma where you know white kids are going home to their parents crying so oh i cannot stand being white look at all the things that we did come on that's not happening that's not happening and you know but if that's what it's supposed to stop from happening but what it actually is happening is just what you said it's being used not even procedurally just as a matter of well, seventeen seventy-five, and we don't like you. So, bam! There you go. We're gonna we're gonna dock we'll your accreditation. It's,
0: it's used in the most. It's not. I don't even think it, the state board was even using it as the law allows, because it's no. supposed to be about teaching. And they're pulling a. They're downgrading accreditation. For so
1: one, we already mark. know that yeah. with the case with TPS, it's been demonstrated that. Whatever it was they say they did, they did not do, that the evidence does not support the state ed board's decision on that matter, and it didn't matter. They did it anyway. they They went ahead and gave him an accreditation with a warning or something like that, despite a lack of evidence that has been shown to them that they had no evidence.
0: Well, at first and they did before the that. Evidence.
1: they didn't even hear the evidence
0: And no, they didn't hear the evidence first time. They
1: did
0: it. Yeah, so, so but they here's, the, get, here's the question. How likely is it to actually be repealed? Do you think that, I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's enough lawmakers who really, there's, I think there's this fear of the other person doing something. Like we even, you know, it's not happening in my school because I love my school, but that place somewhere else in that scary big town, they're probably doing it there and we need to pass a law. And so how many yeah. lawmakers going to sign on? Well,
1: what's going to happen of- is if you are saying, yeah, we need to repeal it, they're going to say, oh, well, you just want CRT in schools. Exactly. Even though CRT has not been in schools.
0: Never been in that's schools. That's
1: a very convenient boogeyman for people to cite. And since that's the the, the scary alphabet combination du jour right now, um, no one's going to touch that. It's like kind of like a third rail. You just don't want to touch that thing or you're going to get shocked. And... We've got a few issues like that. This one is for now. So I think personally, if you are serious about good policy, good results, you would say, yeah, this is not doing what it intended to do. It's actually harming classroom instruction. We need to ditch this and, or start over and do something different. But ideology, you know, policy driven by ideologues is going to present prevent that from happening because no one wants to be primaried. no one wants to be seen as this way or that way and that's just kind of how things are in our state political arena so yeah it's probably not very likely but osage nation congress they were like you know we should dump this thing we don't think our history should be whitewashed i'm glad that we as the board came to decision to say, yep, we agree with that. It's bad policy. It needs to go, you know, whether po- folks are going to listen to us. I don't know. I hope they do though.
0: was well, interesting about the Osage nation doing that was it was reported that a teacher in Dewey, a high school teacher had, they had donated or had donated a lot of copies of the killers of the flower moon yep. that would have been taught to the high school kids. Well, part of Dewey is in the Osage Nation, or the Osage Nation, is extends into d- to Dewey. I'm not sure how that. I know that they're connected, that there's an overlap in there, and so I imagine there are Osage citizens who are students who are not allowed to read this story. This they know, but how weird is that? That the yeah. you no, know, that the chilling effect is that a teacher is scared that she's going to violate House Bill 1775 teaching the history, their history to them. And yeah. that's, I mean, it's just this weird. So I'm kind of thinking if I were, yeah, the Osage nation Congress is right. That, that This is not, this is not, this is not how it should be, but yet, you know, we see how the state board and now we have, you know, the secretary of education wants to pull credentials of teachers that have, you know, he's disagrees politically with. Mm. So, you know, that he considers woke and, and, you know, if he, becomes a new state superintendent, then he that would be in his authority to pull credentials. So there's a real fear going around that is not helping our teacher shortage. I'll no. say that. And I think a lot of experienced teachers are wondering why. So, you know, we have to get serious about what we want in our education system. And if we don't repeal 1775, it ought to be seriously gutted and start over. I mean, if you really yeah. want to have something on the books that says, you know we shouldn't discriminate which we have lots of different protections for that um then okay but let's let's not try to legislate feelings because that's where we're getting in trouble yeah. so um but anyway so we are in the middle of campaign season mm-hmm. and we got about a month left yep i hope people are doing their homework one of the cool things that we, we started doing last week the rollout was a little clunky on our end we've got it fixed we have uh, dueling op-eds. So, the, taking the the governor's candidate, the incumbent governor Kevin Stitt, and state superintendent Joy Hoffmeister, challenging him. So, w- w- there's a writer for each each campaign, uh, each candidate, and on a theme each week on why why my chosen candidate is best for education. Why my chosen candidate is best for the economy. That's what we're going to focus on this weekend. And last week was about education. And we had, so if you missed it, we had uh, writing for Kevin Stitt, Christy Rawlings, who's a a Tulsa uh, parent activist. And for Hoffmeister, the, the Jinx, School board member Terry Keeling wrote for her, which was interesting because she's running as a Democrat and he's conservative. So it's kind of an interesting she was a Republican. That's right. Yeah. Well, Joy, yeah, Joy did change her, her registration to be a Republican. So for this week, this Sunday, the op-eds are written by Sean Copeland, who's the chairman and CEO of Regent Bank and served in the state administration, writing about why he believes did his best for the economy. And then um, Erica Lucas, is right, who's a, I believe she's out of Oklahoma City, but she's has a lot of experience in business. I've seen her name as a motivational speaker, and she does a lot of work around uh, women's networking and, and business, but she's writing for for Joy Hoffmeister arguing her point. So next week, we'll examine healthcare, and then the week after that is an overall endorsement by different writers so it's kind of interesting i just i've, I've enjoyed looking at the, the the contrast between the two and how two different perspectives on the same issue pan out so check that out this yep. weekend
1: neat, we got a real race
0: yes well we have them up online right now and we have last week's up as well so hopefully people can kind of You know, in this whole preparation and knowing who to vote for, you know, if you're really wanting to dig in, I mean, I hope people are doing some reading and not just talking points. So that's why we do this, what we do. So, anyway, any last words, Bob Doucette?
1: Well, I'm going to throw this out there just for fun. um, Because I know this weekend, huge football weekend, OU Texas. I'm going to advise people to take the advice I have uh, told myself. If your team loses, do not let it ruin your day.
0: (laughs) I think that should be maybe reminded every weekend.
1: Yes. So I was, uh, last weekend, I was, uh, last weekend was a bad football weekend for me. Just almost every team that I wanted to win did not win. And my favorite team. Found a way to lose to one of our bitterest rivals, and but it's like you know what? Don't let it ruin your day. Just turn it off, move on, do something else, huh. enjoy the day, whatever. So, Are maybe you as soon as pull it out, they Are beat you much the of a baseball hard. fan?
0: Did you watch the Yankees?
1: Um, yeah, they kept throwing in the the whole thing with Aaron Judge trying to get sixty two and. He didn't get it that day. It was kind of annoying in some ways because, hey, I'm totally stoked for Aaron Judge. He's a very cool dude. He's a great player. He makes every every other player on the diamond look like a child when he steps up to (laughs) bat. It's it's just humorous to me how big he is. Um, But I also realized that this was very much a uh, ESPN, Fox Sports, whatever manufactured chase because i mean oh, okay he broke the oh, AL record a
0: heart to some people the yankees fans have been freaking out all week you know what i'm gonna oh, bring evan canfield on here.
1: 73
0: evan canfield will have some strong words for you
1: so sorry man um, the numbers are the numbers man 73 <laughs> is the record
0: Freakishly, baseball seems to be the the favorite pastime to talk about in the newsroom. So, and I, you know, you might want to keep that to yourself. Your no, whole man. your whole thing. Well, I, I I'll, I'll wear that I have a very different life. I'm having about 20 high school palm girls come to my house tomorrow to get ready before a high school football game. So it's like the hurricane that comes in and takes <laughs> over, and there's lots of Hairspray and lotions and and things, and then they leave. I have a lot less food <laughs> and a, a different looking house, so it's fun. So that's my world. And once I survive it, I can take a breat- breather. So you know, and I tell my my son and my husband, just leave, just be gone, come back later, and they usually do. So, so anyway, I hope everyone has a good weekend, and we will be back next week.
1: Adios.